Don't mess around at a horse auction by order of the Peaky Blinders. Welcome into our spoiler-free podcast, breaking down every single episode of the 1920s family gang drama on Netflix and BBC. I'm your host, Daniel Gilman. And I'm Josh Levy. This is episode three of the second season. This episode was filled with a whole lot of content, Daniel. Yeah, we got a couple new characters in the last episode, so now we're kind of seeing them get filtered into the fold. And before we dive in... Go ahead and take a minute if you haven't. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. And hit subscribe so we don't have to remind you every time we drop one of these because we're doing a rewatch. You guys either doing a rewatch or watching for the first time. Regardless, we're not going to do any spoilers though. But if you want to provide some feedback, whether it's something that you noticed for the first time on your fourth watch or something that you noticed for the sixth time on your sixth watch, go ahead and send us an email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com. This episode, an entire season directed by Cole McCarthy, written by Stephen Knight. Josh McCarthy directed, I think, my favorite Black Mirror episode, another Netflix show, fantastic. The Black Museum one with the sister from Black Panther. Is that the one where it was like flashbacks from other episodes? They kind of mixed and matched it. That was a great episode. Yep, yep. That would, I don't want to spoil that one if you haven't seen Black Mirror, but it's it's an awesome episode. It's one that's kind of like an ode to all the other. It's got a bunch of Easter eggs in it. And this episode, in a way, you know, it feels of, of, of Peaky Blinders, like it's got a couple nods to different things. The description reads, after joining London crime boss Alfie Solomons in a business venture, Tommy worries that Alfie's new revealed volatility could pose a problem. And, uh, ooh, Alfie's volatility is a bit of a problem, Josh. It definitely is, and I'm shocked that that's the only description they have of this episode because there's so much more that went on. So it's like if you're reading that, you're you're so misled, which I actually like, which I actually like. There we go. He's finally they're finally turning towards you, Josh. I mean, we can just knock that out right now because that Alfie scene was so small, and it was like we only saw him for a minute because we see Tommy hiring this guy Billy Kitchen, who was in the war with him. A cool little scene there, which in a way kind of. Uh, Knocks out two birds for Tommy because he's now allowed to run the boats through the black country untouched, which is Uncle Charlie's not happy with. But as they hire all of these quote-unquote bakers, Alfie, uh, Alfie wants to snap him back into form, and he shows his craziness in that orientation. Man, I love Alfie. This scene was just pure epicness. Tom Hardy destroys it. It's kind of like the, I mean, we, we saw Alfie, he's just, he's crazy, but we really saw his crazy here. Like, we really did. He lost his shit when he got offended by that one stupid comment by the by the by the baker. Yeah, maybe we'll get to that with our with our best quotes, our favorite quotes of the episode. Yeah, for sure. But I loved how the, this episode started because we don't get Nick Cave and his red right hand rendition. Instead, we get a cover from PJ Harvey, who we hear a ton of. She was used in that great scene where Tommy was being led down the river by Curly early in the season, and it's just an eerie an eerie tone for this episode. It's, it's a weird episode because you, you see, like, children in the city gathered watching this gypsy puppet show as a man is silently strangled, and, you know, with that killing, we have the inspector, who is now a major, coming into town, and we find out that, you know, some Irish people don't want to accept the treaty from the king, so... Moss and the inspector were back last episode, and now we find out that they're going to run some tricks on him and put him in with a bit of a prostitute house. The inspector has just taken L's left and right ever since. Honestly, he's been taking L's left and right since since 
the end of season one, just continuously. Everyone's giving him flack. He's he's still not respected. And I mean, I, we'll, we'll probably touch on it later in the episode when him and Tommy speak. And Tommy's, you know, telling him that people are people are, are kind of laughing at him, making fun of making fun of him. The inspectors gets on all defensive when Inspector Moss is when he's he the the inspector is like, oh, you think I'm catch? I I caught feelings. I have no regrets for what I did with with Grace. And Moss is like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. It's just it's just kind of funny. Yeah, he's he's been on the downside ever since he went on a knee and got rejected. No man can really rebound from from getting a proposal denied, but he has done so in, in epic form. And yeah, we get a nice little Tommy Campbell scene. It wasn't our highlight, though. Our highlight's obviously going to be the big Sabini versus Shelby plot. Man, Sabini, Darby Sabini is weird. He's just a weird fucking guy. He's got like... He's sitting in uh, the, in middle, the middle, of middle of a boxing, boxing ring. ring, yeah, eating a sandwich, <laughs> ordering the killing of of another person, but he doesn't want to say it because he's super paranoid that even his a guy. I mean, if his a guy is going to be ratting on him to the cops and he's fucked anyways, and now he's super worried. He's like, "Why would you want me to say that I want him killed?" And he th- literally throat chokes his number one dude who ends up failing at the end. Yeah, if you want to. If you want your people to work for you and like do well for you, guy, like you're not gonna want just to put them in chokeholds and strangle them and tell them that you're about to kill them if they don't get it the job done. But uh, so yeah, Sabini and Tommy are like polar opposites. I like notice this like specifically in this episode. Like the Billy Kimbers and the Sabinis are just polar opposites of Tommy Shelby. They're not like they they don't think things through. You know, they're very rash and they 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 have impulse like decision making. So that's something that I know is a weird scene, him eating the sandwich in the middle of the boxing ring. Like, you would think a guy of Sabini's stature and how much money he has, first of all, will sit at a table. Maybe someone's making his food for him, and he's not eating just like a cold-cut sandwich that your mom makes you for lunch when you go to school. That was just weird. It was just wild, and he and he ends it by, you know, ordering the killing of our, our little Western cowboy wannabe, which is, you know, probably like the, maybe the saddest thing part of this whole season so far you're like you know something probably bad might happen to this kid but you don't know what it's going to be when you meet him and he's got this this wooden gun that he pulls out of his his holster that his mom made him and his name is uh yeah the digbeth kid man digbeth kid that that, uh, he's killed in this just gruesome gruesome throat cutting scene and then uh sabini pops up and he's like and then you deal with tommy fucking shelby and it fucking shall be. It's exactly how it's like, just like that. Just like that. Yeah. And uh, I still, it's still mind boggling. He's supposed to be Italian, but he sounds super British. Yeah. So that's like a gripe I have. He's got the, uh, the hot, the hot temper that Italians do have though. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But, uh, no, it's sad for Digbeth kid, man. Yeah. RIP, um, to a real one. And even Tommy's pretty, you know, distraught about it when he finds out in the family meeting, at the end, and then obviously there's the awesome shootout at the horse auction that ends the episode. But, and this is a big thing, I don't know if Sabini did enough legwork. Because, I mean, we know Tommy has pictures floating around from his wartime, and yet Sabini's right-hand guy didn't know which one Tommy Shelby was, so that hesitation cost him what what I thought was going to be his life. I thought Arthur was going to go full savage mode and kill him, but I guess he doesn't completely pit bull tear his face off. But then you see that iconic image of Tommy spinning around, pointing his gun, saying, don't get blood on the kid. And, and then we learn that Michael Gray is probably here to stay because he has nerves of steel. His hand isn't shaking. He's ready to drive home. 
He's he's got all the sandwiches. The the whole thing with him and Polly, Josh is uh, it's comical. It really is because you see a side of Polly that we've never seen before. You get the nervous, speechless mom side, especially as they're sitting in this big new house of hers and she doesn't know how to talk to the maid or the servants and all of that. And then she doesn't want Michael to go with them to the to the horse auction. And Michael picks the lock, and Michael is a Shelby in his blood. Finn Cole and Helen McCrory do honestly such a good job in the beginning of the relationship with showing how like, you know, weird it really is because a a lot of shows would just kind of have him just pop in out of nowhere and it's all good. And they're just mother and son, but it's, there's a transition. It's weird. It's awkward. It's very, it's kind of testy. You know, she doesn't know how to act around him. She doesn't know if she can really be herself. So when I was watching this, especially on the second time around, I was really paying attention to like, the the tremendous acting going on to show how hard it is for them to adapt to their new relationship and this is a this is a big episode for michael i found that that scene right after tommy almost got his life taken by sabini's guy you know right after when he's like he's like michael you didn't see any of this you didn't see any of this you didn't see any of this and they're really trying to protect him so it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of spins off and then he doesn't tell his mom at the very, very end when we see Arthur shaking and, you know, Arthur's fully turned back to the devil that, you know, we think that the the Tokyo, the, the cocaine has turned him into. And we almost get a scene where Arthur is killed by the mom of the of the kid that, that, was that Arthur, you know, beat to death in, in a an awful. It's just the whole thing. When, when you factor in PTSD and you realize that there is this political underlying storyline above the whole thing starting from the first episode with Danny Wisbang and still going into Arthur. Arthur is not like this because he is just a deranged animal at heart. It's because he went to war and all this crazy shit happened and and then you see someone like Michael and even Finn who are a lot more innocent in in nature even though Michael is a bit of a uh, a hard-nosed like badass and he's a criminal and he doesn't care that the first time he ever saw his mom in, in 15 years is, you know, her coming back from a one night stand. And you got to remember, that's the last time they saw each other for us. And then we get introduced in this episode three. And that's why I like that everything's so weird, like you mentioned, because the last time that we saw Michael, the only time we ever saw Michael was the end of last episode when he's waiting for Polly to walk home from the one night stand. Exactly. Like hit, hit on the nose. It's just all Stephen Knight's just doing such a good job of getting these plot lines to develop and, and kind of, you know, there's, there's stalling, some are stalling, some are speeding up and it's just, there's so much going on. And, and we talked about the ability to lay the plot webs early in season one and just look at where it's, t- it's been taken now. And it's just awesome. I, I think this is a, this is a point of the show that like kind of just takes, takes off from, from here. I really liked the scene when Michael and Polly are talking in the, in the, in the open and, John and Arthur are playing, you know, cowboys and Indians and Tommy comes in and they're, <laughs> yes, they're shooting around yes. and, and they're playing with these real guns and, and Michael is yes, unfazed. Uh, John's like, I'll fucking kill you. It's just like, they're just, they're clowns. So it's just like little subtleties like that that you don't notice, but it, it takes thinking to put that in there. And what do we say? John's like 23, 24 years old. So he's a kid. There's no way Tommy's older than 30 32 and yeah arthur's a little older but at the end of the day i love when they show the scenes of of just these brothers having fun as brothers well i mean honestly at the end of the episode after everything goes down it's just kind of like the it's that it's that that music playing in the background and you have john and arthur kind of sitting still looking at each other staring each other in the face like what the hell just happened 
And then you look back at the beginning of the episode when they're playing, you know, cowboys and Indians and shooting each other and messing around. It's just like at any moment this can happen. And it's just like I think they kind of just realized that a second. Like, like, like just because we are who we are, you know, doesn't mean that we're safe. There's people coming after us. We have to keep our head on a swivel. And I think that that was that realization. And it's just it's crazy how, how the episode started and ended. And that's going to, that'll lead me into what was my favorite quote. And we can go over our favorite quotes here because the Shelby's do bad things. And when we meet May Carlton at the horse auction and she says, what do you do? And Tommy goes, oh, I do bad things. But you already knew that. But you already knew that. Yeah, yeah buddy. I love that part. My girl I May Carlton, part. welcome into the show. She's a baddie. Yeah. Big fans of Charlotte Riley. Also, by the way. Married to Tom Hardy. No way. Charlotte Riley no and Tom Hardy, husband and wife. God, there's there's a lot of interworkings going on with this show. And with, I guess, just British British acting in general, with Damien Lewis and Helen McCrory being married. Wow, that's, damn. Good for Tom Hardy, man. Yeah, She's welcome, a cutie. She's a cutie. Welcome. Tom Hardy's a stud, I mean, yeah, I mean, so I, mean I was honestly talking about it with, with my parents and since I told you they they started watching the show and they're they're already on season three right now so that shows how how much they like it flying but my dad was just like Tom Hardy is arguably like the best actor in the in the last fifteen years like he is he is so good in everything he does just the different roles he plays from Mad Max Fury Road to to Bane to Alfie, it's just, it's wild. So Tom Hardy, spec'd. Spec'd on your name. Yep, so, you know, they're talking in that family meeting about the killing of the kid, and Tommy's, you know, asking for permission from Polly to have, you know, a thousand quid to spend on this horse, and Polly's like, you guys are just fucking around since I'm hanging out with my son. But no, they're thinking that racehorses are a bit of a, uh, a bit of a good money laundering scheme, a, a way to quote, diversify the portfolio. And I love when so Tommy good. uses his big boy words and tries to flex. And, and you know, I have a feeling it's going to foreshadow him really getting into the, the legality of things because he's, he's hinted at wanting to go legal. And Charlie, you know, leading right into another one of my favorite quotes of the episode, Charlie is pissed. He hates how easy things are. Charlie Strong goes, I'm not even sure it's stolen when he's talking about all of the boxes that they're using. And Tommy says, some of it isn't. Some of it's legal. And Charlie's like, fuck you. When's the last time you rode a horse, Tommy? It's too easy to get through the black country. They just wave at us now. I love that because this is a guy that's always done things illegal. And Charlie's got to be in his 50s. And he just doesn't want things to change. And you can see that the older generations never want things to change, even though the younger generations are pushing it. A lot of these characters are just creatures of habit, and they're just they're not used to anything different. And so that was interesting. Charlie's like, "What the hell is going on, man? I, you don't want me to be badass, illegal Charlie? You kind of smuggle the the smuggler." But this is something that I also noticed the the money the money laundering starts to really come into play here. Like for the first like for the first time we really see it, Tommy started thinking about how to hide. There's there's too much money now. They're not used to it. How do, how do I get rid of this? So you start to see him venturing off into different things. He wants to invest. He's like, think of horses. They're like property. We need to diversify the portfolio. It's like, damn. He's got a, a house for Ada and a house for Polly. Right. He's asking, he's asking Ada, you know, they have 800 pounds left in the, in the, in the Shelby limited uh, property fund. And she's like, well, you want to, you want to rent? And like, he's like, I gotta, you know, I gotta launder the money, you know? So things, things are getting, you know, there's a lot of wheels spinning in place for Tommy. Do you have any other uh, favorite quotes from the episode that you wrote down? I gotta go with Alfie's Alfie scene for sure. And when he, when he, first of all, he's staring at the guy with the hat, 
and I thought he was just going to knock the guy out, and he just, like, randomly out of nowhere just pops the other guy in the mouth and knocks him to the floor, and Alfie chimes in and tells the guy who he didn't pop in the face, and he says, he'll wake up. Granted, he won't have any teeth left, but he'll be a wise bad for it. <laughs> and the last take he'll remember is your funny little fucking joke. Perfect. Just delivers it, and, and no one says a damn word. And this is when he delivers his, like, his, like, hype speech about, about the rules, you know, the lay of the land. And he says that the Jewish fucking women are off the fucking menu. Love that, baby. <laughs> Was it rule number three, rule number four, rule number five, rule number six? Yeah, he's like, he, he, <laughs> he gives two rules, and he's like, now rule three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I don't care. Jewish women are off the fucking menu. It was just so great. And he, he he provides that like satirical element to the show. You know, we don't really get that a lot. There's a couple zingers every now and then. But Alfie Solomons is a, a walking satire in a way because he's such a badass. But he's such a freaking ding dong too. And it's just, you can't read him. It's so funny. And everyone's so scared around him too because he's he's the definition of a wild card. And you know, the, the description talks about his volatility and it could pose a problem. But I have a feeling Billy Kitchens is the guy. He feels like the guy that's going to hold things together. I like him. The redhead that, that Tommy's got is, he walks up, everyone's like, Baker, Baker, Baker. And Alfie's like, fuck off. Now take it in, fuck off. Fit it out, <laughs> fuck off. Billy's like, <laughs> Billy's like, Head Baker. Right, right. Billy Billy Kitchen's a guy. He's a unit. He's big. Big dude. I like when he meets Tommy Shelby, like, in the beginning of the episode, and Tommy's kind of, like, vetting him out. And he's like, well, you have, you have to pass the medicals. Guy, the guy has to pass his physical. He's got to pass physical pending acquisition of Billy Kitchen to the to the Peaky Blinders. I, I, I thought that was funny, just a little particular there. But uh, Tommy vets him out, asks him what he does with his – with his gallantry medals, and he threw him in the, I threw him in the coop, same as you, and so Tommy, Tommy respects him. So I think from that scene, we see that he's he's the guy. Yeah, what Alfie did feels like what a head coach does of a football team when one person's acting up, and then he makes everyone else run and do suicides, or you know when you're in when you're in a physical education class and everyone else has to drop and give him ten because you're the one that 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 bad bad mouthed. Exactly, exactly. You're you're the guy who screws it up for sure. That is that was the guy who got socked in the mouth. No, the guy, the guy who mouthed off and his friend had to... It's like, now you watch your teammates run and they all hate you. And then when you talk about Tommy going up to Ada, Tommy's, Tommy wants a job and Ada is kind of just like jobless, just relaxing at this point, uh, I guess, in her big house. And she's like, so what, what are you here for? Tommy's like, oh, no reason. And Ada goes, Tommy Shelby never goes nowhere for no reason. And then agrees to work for him because she finally realizes that she could start to use the Shelby profits and their Shelby resources for good. And and I think we're going to start to see more of that. Ada kind of taking her medicine, realizing, okay, I'm a Shelby. I can't really change anything now, but I could at least try to use the money for, for something good. And Ada right now is, is the only good hearted character in the show. I think she, she, it's crazy to see her from season one is to now and just how much she's progressed. She looks a lot better. She's wearing nicer clothes. She's involved with a lot. She's political. Tommy mentions, you know, pick a side, you know, She's like, I don't have a side. And he's like, you have a side. And she's just like, all right, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> all right, you kind of have a point. But, yeah, she's going to be, be in the fold for sure. And I'm, I'm excited to see where uh, what she has to contribute. All right, time for winners and losers here, where Josh and I each pick one winner and one loser from the episode. Usually we add a little bit of uh, comedy to it. But my winner, no, no comedy involved at all. 
I, I am a uh, heterosexual male. I love when attractive women get added to shows that I watch. And Mae Carlton is my winner here. She not only wait, so wait, so are are you the winner here for being able to watch May or is May? No, the I, I think May's the winner because May big dicked Tommy Shelby at the horse auction. She did. And rose up the, there is nothing more annoying than getting into a bidding war with then you realize someone who really didn't even need or want the thing that they're bidding for. So you realize that May and her dad went half-half on this filly that they were just going to use with their stud, which means that they've got this stud horse, this male, and they were going to breed him with this filly. And Tommy wants to race this woman horse, this, this female horse, and May boosts it up, boosts it up, boosts it up, and then gets the digits. Because you got to think of it from both ways. That, Tommy yeah. wants her number, but at the end of the day, May wants to do bad things to this bad man. And so she's my winner today. And she's married to, to, you know, Tom Hardy. So now the two of them get to hang out on set together. She's she's for sure. You honestly stole my winner. I was going to say May because she gets consideration from Tommy. She gets she got considered, okay? That, that, that means a lot. Anyways, one of my favorite quotes that I didn't mention was when – when May speaks, it's it's so proper, and you could just it's the way she enunciates her words. And I love when she's like, "I'm trying to nab a filly for my stud." <laughs> it's just so 1920s England right there. I'm really excited to see when she comes to Birmingham because you know it's got to be lined up because she's got to see the horse. Oh, for sure, it's gonna be she's 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 gonna get some uh, mud on her boots. But my winner of this episode is Michael. Michael had a great episode. We saw a lot of maturity out of him. This is not a comedy one either. This is this is for real. Um, he kind of is finding himself within the family. You know, he got introduced to the cousins. He got introduced to John and Arthur. He's he's meeting everyone. He's settling in. So my one of of this episode was Michael because he showed Tommy I can deal with this. When he's like, I'm good to drive. I'll drive. I'll drive. Don't worry about it. I don't care. I'll see this. So. This is, I think he was a winner for sure. Yeah, we saw a lot of stubbornness as well from Michael because Tommy ordered him to go home because he's not 18 yet. He's like, I'm almost 18. I'm almost 18. Yeah, he's he's like, he's like I make my own decisions. I told you that already. So don't make decisions for me. And to mouth off to Tommy like that, to stand up to Tommy, not, Ar- Arthur doesn't do that. John doesn't do that. But Michael did it within the first few days of meeting him. So that was, that was wild. And then my loser, and I don't even have a name. I don't think he doesn't even deserve a name. My loser is the guy who did not do anything and then got absolutely sucker hit by Alfie. Just got knocked cold. And and that's going to be my nitpick too because what the hell is Alfie doing? Does he have some sort of magic swing? Like there's no way you can hit someone with a stick and knock him out cold. Dude, dude, Tom, Tom Hardy I'm just is saying, yoked. I'm just saying how can you, you – like him? how did the physics behind that work where you hit someone with a stick and it knocks them out cold like in the face? I mean – yeah, no, for sure. He he's for sure can cuss. I mean, Arthur knocks dudes to the ground in one in one strike sometimes. But out, like he wasn't moving for the whole five minute monologue. That's just my little. I, that's right, my that's only fine, to pick fine. this episode. Fine, you you're you're Game of Thrones ready right now. Go ahead with your loser. <laughs> my my loser is Digbeth Kid, man. What what did Digbeth Kid do to deserve this? Bro, you always pick the dead people. <laughs> but Josh. I mean, I mean, he, the kid, the kid wasn't doing anything. He literally was just lying in a cell the whole time and got his freaking throat slit, Game of Thrones style. Yeah, it was. They showed it. It was gruesome. I would say maybe like his cellmate could be a loser because he had to just witness that. Like, what the fuck? These are. This is obviously right. a low security I mean, prison. If 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 I'm not allowed to do Digbeth Kid as a loser, I'm gonna go with Arthur as a loser because he's losing his shit, and it's it's sickening. He's having these PTSD moments and 
the Tokyo is getting the best of him, and it's kind of foreshadowing possibly. I like if you know, like they things are just really gonna go off the rails because they they are. He has no control. Like when he gets someone on the ground, you know, in that last scene when he had Sabini's guy on the floor, and Sabini's guy is knocked out senseless, and Arthur's just wailing, wailing, wailing the same way where he killed that boxer, and he's just got a lot of demons to battle right now. So I'm gonna go with loser as Arthur as my as my B. Digbeth kid, for sure my A. I mean, the guy got slaughtered. It's like the third, it's the his, third dead person you picked as your loser. <laughs> his guts were like spilling out on the cell. Like you could see the insides of his of his of his throat. It was oh my god, it was gruesome. It was it was bad. Keep an eye out for the season two episode four recap. It'll be posted sometime soon. Make sure to subscribe and follow so that you'll have it right away. You can download it. You can listen to it while you're in a plane, a train, on your way to work, whenever. I like to listen to podcasts while I'm driving to work, anywhere, when I'm in the shower, all that fun stuff. Also, like us on Facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast or follow us on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. That's it for this episode. He's Josh. I'm Daniel. And we binge so you don't have to. Man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.